Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior associate pastor, Dr. John Light. We're looking tonight at one of the most profound passages in the Bible. I'm going to read the entire um, section that is going to be covered in uh, this week and the next uh, uh, series of Advent sermons on John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And our, tonight we will be looking at the first five verses. So hear God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. We're beginning this series on the first 18 verses, which I've just read. It's often called the prologue of the Gospel of John. It's a prologue in the sense that it gives us a brief overview of the main themes that are found in John's gospel. And it sets forth in powerful statements the person and work of Jesus Christ in terms of who he is and the salvation he, he entered the world in his incarnation to accomplish. The prologue is, is like looking at a great mountain peak from afar and seeing its overall shape And then the rest of the Gospel of John is like seeing the mountain up close and personal, seeing the reality of who Jesus Christ was and is by the testimony of his life as he lived a perfect, sinless life, as he loved the multitudes, as he uh, performed his mighty miracles, as he taught and preached, and as he ultimately went to the cross and rose again. 
So that when John finally comes to the end of his gospel in chapter 20 in verses 30 to 31, he looks back and expresses his purpose in writing what he wrote. And at that point he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The apostle is saying he has shown us Jesus Christ in his writing, in his gospel, so that we may believe in Christ and have life in his name. As we consider these first five verses about the Word of God, Jesus, the eternal Word of God, I'd like to ask you to ask yourself, have I given serious consideration to this most fundamental question of life? Who is Jesus Christ? Because he is described for us here, clearly. And there is no question more important for each one of us than this one. And as we come to see what the Scripture reveals about Jesus then we must face a second question. If this is who Jesus is, have I believed in him? Have I believed in the Christ? And have I received life in his name? Knowing Jesus, we might say, must not simply be academic. Knowing Jesus cannot be like getting a C-plus on a multiple-choice test on Bible facts. That's not what it means to know Jesus Christ, knowing about him or knowing certain facts. Knowing Jesus must be part of wholehearted, whole person believing in Christ so that as John writes, you may have life, life itself, spiritual life, eternal life in Christ's name and by what he did and by what he does in our lives. Have you come to receive life in Jesus. Let's look then at these first five verses. First of all, we see tonight that Jesus is the eternal pre-existing Word of God. Verse 1, the beginning of that verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John begins his gospel with that familiar phrase, in the beginning. And it's a concept that immediately takes us back to the first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But in a sense, John goes back even before the beginning, which is the creation, when God created the heavens and the earth. The language he uses in this verse takes us behind that when he adds, in the beginning was the word. He doesn't say, in the beginning, the Word was created, or he doesn't say that the Word came into being at that point. He says that the Word was. The Word of God was already existing. Jesus did not begin to exist at the creation, or he did not begin to exist when he took on human flesh in Mary's womb. No, before that creation of all things, 
For all eternity, he was the pre-existing word of God. Probably many of you have a vague memory as a child of coming to grips in your mind when you first heard it taught that God had no beginning. If you're like me, your mind did kind of flip-flops just trying to think about that, trying to grasp that. Children, some of you younger folks here today might have experienced that more recently in your lives, and you remember that better than I do. Realizing that the Bible teaches that God is eternal, that He never had a beginning. Our minds almost fail to function at the thought. It goes beyond us. What we are so used to with our limited nature and experience. We are so tied into time and space of this world. We are created beings. It shows us how unlike us is God himself. The Word was never created. The Word of God, Jesus Christ, the eternal Word, capital W, existed eternally. Many of you know that the Greek word that's used here for the word word is the term logos, which can have many connotations, but primarily it has that sense, message. What does it mean for the Son of God to be given this title in this verse, the Word of God? Most agree that it emphasizes Jesus' role as the ultimate revelation of God that it emphasizes Jesus' role as the, the one who discloses the Father, His nature, His person, His character. The Word of God was sent into the world to perfectly make known the glory and the grace of God. We think of Hebrews chapter 1 at verse 3 where it says of Christ, the Word of God, it says, He is the radiance of of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The radiance of God's glory, the the shining forth of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. What a fitting title it is for the Christ to be the word of God. But secondly, we see Jesus is fully God one of the three persons of the Trinity, the second part of verse 1 and verse 2. And it, it says, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word was with God. Interesting statement, isn't it? This implies that Jesus, the Son of God, is distinct, was distinct, and is distinct from the Father and from the Holy Spirit. To use traditional theological terminology, he was a distinct person of the Godhead, of the triune God, the Trinity. But also implied is that the Word of God, Jesus Christ, was in a relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He was with God. And then verse 1 ends with the dramatic statement, and the word was God. In the original language, 
the term God is put first for emphasis in that phrase. Uh, it wouldn't make sense for us to translate it into English that way, but if we were speaking, we would translate it something like this. We would say, the word was God. We would emphasize the word theos, God. The word was and is God. These truths are so deep and so unsearchable that I believe, and many commentators state, that verse 2 is a a restatement of some of the highlights of what he was saying in verse 1. He was in the beginning with God. Statements that go so deep. And so there, it's, it's restated. There is no doubt about the divine nature of the word. He was in the beginning with God. And so the word of God, Jesus is fully God. But thirdly, we see as we go on in verse 3, Jesus was the agent of the creation of all things. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The verse is stating the same truth in two different ways. First, positively, the first half of the verse, all things were made through him. And then the second half of the verse states the same thing negatively in the opposite way. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I've heard it described this way. This verse puts everything into two boxes. Box number one, you and me, everyone who lives on this earth, all the animals and the plants and the insects and the birds and the fish, the whole earth, our whole solar system, the Milky Way, which consists of most of the stars that the ordinary eye can see, and then hundreds of billions of galaxies, and then the whole world of angelic beings, the seraphim and the cherubim and all the heavenly hosts, and then all the fallen angels, Satan and all his demons. That's all in box one. That's all the created order by God. And in the other box, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God dwells. Of course, we can't put God in a box, as it said. God, though, is clearly distinct from his creation. We don't take a pantheistic view of God, that God and the creation are the same thing. And the word of God is described as the agent of creation. Scripture mentions that in many different places. All things were made through him. He's the agent of God. We might quote from Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him, that is speaking of Christ again, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or or authorities. It's a pretty wide-reaching description there, isn't it? Again, another way to, to describe all things. And he, Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow, it's so beautiful to hear these descriptions of Christ, the creator, the word of God, and the sustainer. If Jesus did not sustain you and me this very second, 
we would cease to exist. He sustains the world. He sustains people doing evil things. He upholds all things in His purposes. Amazing description of the Word of God. Sustaining every molecule and atom and even the smaller particles, as physics knows it, of our existence. Do you begin to see how very wondrous it is for the Word to become flesh and dwell among us, as we'll get to in verse 14 in a couple of weeks. This theme for why this great love and condescension was necessary begins to be seen as we come to verses 4 and 5, our fourth point. Jesus is the life and light of the world who shines in the darkness. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, the, the life, and the light are two of the grand themes of the Gospel of John. If you studied through that book, you would see these themes unfold and be developed We've already heard the purpose statement of John's gospel in chapter 20, that by believing you may have life in his name. There's that idea of life through Jesus Christ. But here in verse 5, we also see the first mention of darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness is not able to overcome the light of Christ. And there's a secondary sense that maybe you know from other translations. Some of the translations have that word overcome as translated as understand or comprehend. That's really a secondary sense of the word. And probably both senses are intended by John. The darkness does not understand the light, and it is not able to overcome the light as powerful as the darkness may seem. Later in chapter 3, after that famous chapter 3, verse 16, we see this, this idea expanded as it's described this way. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, Jesus Christ. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. In other words, the darkness being described here and throughout John's gospel is the darkness of sin. And apart from the light and the life of Christ in salvation that he came to bring, we all by nature choose darkness. We shun the light. How deeply we need the life and the light of Christ to shine in our darkness. And so we've seen a brief glimpse of the mountain peak of the Word of God, the eternal Word, Jesus Christ. I want us to just have two brief applications from this. The first is the life of Christ is the source of all physical life and the source of all spiritual life. Jesus, as the life, goes back to Genesis, and God speaks the word, let there be light, and there was light. It's part of the 
creation of all physical life, that Jesus is the life. But there's also this, this spiritual sense which the Gospel of John and other parts of the Bible bring out again and again. And we need to ask ourselves, has the light of Christ in the Gospel shone in our hearts? As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What a tremendous privilege and blessing. It's speaking of salvation in terms of knowing Jesus Christ, of having the light of Christ shine into the darkness of our hearts and save us from our sins. It's possible, in fact, it's sadly normal to be living in darkness without knowing it. That's happening all the time, and all of us can testify to that experience. Before we knew Christ, to be pursuing all the typical things that people pursue, to be pursuing happiness and uh, achievement and success and, and money and pleasure and friendships and relationships and love and family, but all the time not knowing that apart from Christ, you are living in the spiritual darkness of sin. As Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, without hope and without God in the world. Speaking about what the Gentiles' life was fundamentally like, it was without hope and without God in the world. In other words, a Gentile at that point could have had it all apart from Christ and have nothing. And that's true for each and every one of us apart from Christ. To be living in darkness is another way to describe it. Has the light of Christ in the gospel shone into your heart through Christ? Well, and secondly, that relates to this. To believe in Christ is to come to see who he is. The eternal word of God come in the flesh. To believe in Christ is to come to see with eyes of understanding and faith that have been given the light of Christ to bring your sin and your shame into His light, to receive forgiveness of sins and everlasting life in Him. It is to be brought out of darkness into His marvelous light, as the Apostle writes. And it is completely by His grace, through faith in Him. One of the pictures that comes to my mind when I think of Christ entering the darkness of this world and how world, how dark this world really is, is the often repeated testimony of missionaries in the 1800s as the modern missions movement swept through many unreached places in the world. And to see and read descriptions of what society is like without any heritage of the gospel presence. One example is the testimony of missionary couple John and Marianne Patton, who arrived on the island of Tana in the South Pacific in 1858. Patton writes, On Tana, the woman is the slave of man. 
She is kept working hard and bears all the heavier burdens while he walks by her side with musket, club, or spear. If she offends him, he beats or abuses her at will. Such scenes were so common that no one thought of interfering. Even if the woman died in his hands or immediately afterward, neighbors took little notice, and their children were so little cared for that my constant wonder was how any of them survived at all. As soon as they are able to toddle about, they are practically left to care for themselves. As a result, when their parents become old, they show very little affection to them, letting them starve to death or even killing them outright. Patton goes on to describe the constant tribal warfare and murder the cannibalism, the very short lifespans, just the degradation of society as a whole. But eventually, in that island and islands around there, the gospel took hold at great cost by what the missionaries brought, the gospel of Christ, and lives began to be transformed by Jesus Christ. We in the West are the recipients of a rich Christian heritage And that's a great blessing. But here's my warning to all of us. Don't think that you can receive the light of Christ secondhand by enjoying it generally because it's impacted our society and we don't have a kind of society that is so degraded. As dark as our society may be and be coming, Jesus puts his finger on the darkness and sin in each one of us. And his gospel calls us, each one of us, to trust in him and to turn to his light, to receive his salvation, to turn from our ways of sin and from the darkness of just ordinary, everyday living for self and put our faith in him, give him our lives, receive the word come in flesh and so to receive the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this tremendous declaration of who Jesus Christ is in light of the greatness of his condescension, the greatness of the gulf he crossed over to love us, to save us, to call us to himself. Lord, we are struck with how amazing is your grace to us in Christ. Lord, help us and lift us up and give us encouragement as we meditate on Jesus Christ, the light shining in the darkness. And we give you thanks that the darkness has not overcome it. So let your light and life continue to go forth in the world and use us in some small way, O Lord, to make the light of Christ known in the places where you've put each one of us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you. And may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.